Jewish Latin Princess, episode 58, Rochi Pinson, author of Rising, the Book of Chala. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. All right, let's talk challah, ladies. Homemade or store-bought? Do you make challah or do you buy it from a bakery? Is challah one of those things about Jewish life that still remains a mystery or that you think is out of your league? Is it even relevant to the modern Jewish woman? My guest today believes it is so, and she teaches us how in her book, Rising, the Book of Challah. I'm Yael Trush, your host, and you're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I have Rachi Pinson on the show. Rachi's new book, full of exquisite recipes, tips, how-tos, and the meaning behind it all is so much more than a cookbook. And you don't have to believe me, even anthropology took notice of it, so much so that they're selling the book this holiday season. Did Rachi ever expect such success with this book? How was this book even born? Was Rachi always an amazing challah baker? Any miracles she's seen from women making challah? What is the mitzvah of challah? All of this with the delightful Rachi Pinson. Rachi Pinson, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess, and congratulations on your book. Thank you, Yael, and thank you for having me on here. By the way, I've pronounced your last name like with a Sephardic accent, just because it just that's the way I think it is. But is it? How do you pronounce it? Well, actually, it's interesting because it is originally a Spanish surname. And I I love how like the French say it like Pinson, which Uh sounds right. Doesn't that sound so good? It's beautiful. Um, But it does. There was there was like a Pinson on the. on the boat with Christopher Columbus. Right. So, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's my married name. So I, you know, I took it on, uh, but I like it. It's, it, it, it sounds good in a lot of languages. Right. But your husband is not Sephardic, right? No, he's not. That's no, he's so funny. <laughs> All and right. He's descendant of, um, of Rashi. Oh, his mother's uh, mother was a Yitzhaki. Oh, wow. So, so, you know, that's like the original Sephardi, I guess, you know, from Sfarad, not, you know, right. Like Ooh. the Arabic countries. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. Look, who knew these little details? We're here to talk about challah in your book, but look how much we're learning. All right. So your book is called Rising the Book of Challah, Recipes for Challah and Life from Rebbitz and Rachi's Kitchen. And Rachi, this beautiful book is so much more than a cookbook. Not only is this a book that has everything you ever wanted to know about baking challah in the literal sense of the word, numerous tips and recipes, but it also has extensive, beautiful explanations on the meaning behind this age-old mitzvah that God entrusted to Jewish women. So it's complete in a, in, in a sense as it covers both the spiritual and the physical dimensions of the art of making challah. But I understand you didn't, you, you, you're, you're not much of a kitchen lover or a baker, but like, so take, take me to the early days. Like what took you to the art of challah? Was it something that you, you grew up doing as a child? Um, actually very much not. So growing up, um, I actually grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia. My parents were sent there by the Rebbe as uh, shluchim. 
and they started the first Chabad center of Vancouver. So I was born there, and it was a small town, and there was nothing kosher. Um, so we made everything from scratch. The one thing that my mother was able to get away with not making was challah because we had, we had a bakery that always somehow, and it was to her muzzle because that was the one thing she claimed she couldn't do. She's tried early on in her marriage and there was some disaster <laughs> that happened with it and it involved her mother-in-law from what I hear. Oh. And, and she was traumatized and that was it for her. No more challah. So I grew up thinking, you know, challah grows in a bakery. And um, that was really, it worked, you know, every week it arrived. So I didn't have to know any different. Uh-huh. Until, um, so when I got married, you know, making challah wasn't even in my consciousness at all. And uh, it actually ended up that when we were newly married, my husband and I were asked to go to Kobe, Japan. I think I have the story in the book a little bit. Uh, but for our listeners, I guess, who are listening and haven't read the book, I'll share the story, which is kind of how I got hooked on making challah. So my husband and I went to Kobe, Japan to lead the community there for the high holiday season. Uh, they were without a rabbi at that time. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, there is a shliach who lives in Kobe, Japan, and um, there is more of an infrastructure. But at that point, there wasn't much. So we went there. And as we arrived there a few days before Rosh Hashanah, and we're speaking with the community leaders and, you know, in all my innocence, I asked them where we're going to get the challah for the holidays. <laughs> and, you know, the, the president of the show gives me this funny look and, and he says, um, actually, you know, in, in Kobe, the Rebbitson makes the challah. So, you know, a little <laughs> shock, a little shock to my system. And, um, you know, I called my mother frantically and she was frantic because she didn't, you know, she didn't know how to make challah. Oh my gosh. So she shared the recipe and we tried to figure it out together. And the blind actually, leading the blind. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Although we had that old classic cookbook, the uh, the purple spice and spirit, which yes. is still a classic somehow after all these years. It is. And uh, so she read it out loud and I wrote it down. You know, this was way before we took a picture and sent it by text. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was it was an adventure. And at the end of it, I had made some 50 challahs. And, you know, that whole chag, when I was serving those challahs to the community, it really satisfied a part of myself that I I think had never been expressed. You know, Mm. I was just starting this journey of nurturing, of being married, of giving of myself. And um, I didn't have children yet. But this, this, this feeling of nurturing the community through this challah that I made was so powerful. Um, besides for that feeling of doing something that I never thought I could do. Right. But just that, the and, and I had helped cook many other things throughout the holidays, um, but there was nothing like the challah. Something, it satisfied something very deep inside me. And I, I, I got it, that there was something about the challah. At the, that point, I didn't know what it was, but I knew when I came back to New York that somehow it was going to have to be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in building a home and building a family, I knew that challah was going to be uh, a big part of it. I didn't know how big a part of it it was going to be. It ended up being, you know, a very big part over the years. But I definitely knew that I had to make challah every week. And and I did. So and that's where my journey with challah sort of started. So, so you go back to New York. And despite the fact that challah is readily available and good challah, you know, yes. Uh, yes. you took it on to start this out. At what yeah. point does it become something that you want to share with the world? 
That's a good question. You know, it was a progression. First of all, I started realizing that there was something more to challah. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was really about finding challah, like um, informing the the nurturing I was doing. And then after, you know, I graduated from um, from college, I took communication design, I wanted to go into advertising and design, and I got a, you know, a fancy job in the city. And after a week of that job, um, coming home Friday, and I didn't have time to bake challah. And that at that moment, I understood that the challah baking was not just about baking the challah, it was representing my priorities and what I wanted from life and how I wanted to build my home. At that mm-hmm. point, I had one child. And um, I quit the job after that Shabbos. You know, it was a really difficult Shabbos, realizing that I had to make a decision here. Um, and at that point, I realized that the challah baking represented how I wanted to nurture, how I wanted to build my home, what kind of an awareness. I ended up actually um, working for good friends of mine who started a company very soon after an advertising company and I came on as the art director and worked for many years for them so I found a way to balance you know my creativity and being a mother and Mm -hmm. you know and and finding a way to make challah every week um and later on we moved on shlichus ourselves we started a community in downtown Brooklyn Mm -hmm. and that's really when I started sharing this challah gift in my life Mm -hmm. you know every Friday night we would have crowds of people and the one thing that the women were always going crazy for was the challah and I think it wasn't so much even the taste although I hope it was good um it was really about that wow you make this yourself Mm. you could do this how does how does this happen and then I would say to them come Thursday and bake challah with me and that's how it started so every week uh, I would have women coming to bake challah with me, and then I started making it into a more official challah class. And then there was waiting lists that were going on for six months because I just couldn't. It was like over capacity, and there was women who wouldn't come for anything else—not for Rosh Hashanah, not for Yom Kippur—and to bake challah, they would come because it was just speaking to something very deep within women that was, you know. There, there was a need to nurture and to give of ourselves in this way that we weren't addressing. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it started. And I was, as I was teaching these classes, you know, I started sharing more and more about it. Wow. So that's the perfect segue to my question, which is about women. I've heard often women tell me very capable and accomplished women, even in the kitchen, tell me, no, I'm just too scared of making challah. There's there's like a certain myth out there that challah is this hard, difficult thing, plus it's messy or it looks messy, and that challah making is just not for the modern, busy woman, um, especially because we could buy, buy it in the bakery, right? But so so what do we say to that? What, what do you say to that? That's, that's amazing what you're saying, and it's so true, and that's really... That's one of my main reasons for writing this book. I mean, mm-hmm. one of my, well, not the reasons for writing, but one of the things I was hoping to accomplish with this book was to make challah baking accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And you're right. Every single place I travel to, to teach challah, and every group I speak to, there are always a few women who will say that. And you're right. Sometimes they're accomplished bakers or, or cooks, and they'll say, no, challah, that's where I draw the line. And what I'm trying to do in my book is really demystify this and show women that this is actually so much easier than you think. There are so many ways to fit challah making into our lives. And not only is it not difficult, it's a mitzvah. So it's the one thing that we cook or bake or make in our kitchens that is a mitzvah. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to make anything, let it be challah. You know, and, and I, I do these demos with women and I'm making challah and I say to them, and there's always the women saying, oh, that's too time consuming. I said, how many salads did you make for Shabbos this week? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many different desserts? How many chicken? recipes you know and they're like oh i make seven salads i make 13 dips i make so i said you know all that other stuff is lovely but there's the one thing that's a mitzvah that's really bringing the awareness of spirituality and godliness into your kitchen and that's challah so if you're going to make anything start with the challah and mm-hmm. and i think that message has really resonated with women uh, all over. And and people have repeated that line back to me. And people who have been terrified of making challah, including my mother, by the way, oh. uh, who after 40 years, I sort of shamed her into it <laughs> with my book. Because after my first book came out, before the cookbook, which was just sort of a book about challah, where I wrote that she was scared of making challah, she was like, no, this is so embarrassing. I have to make challah. So I showed her, we did it together, and since then she makes it every single week, and her challah rivals mine. It's amazing. So I always tell that to the women I'm teaching that it's never too late, and even if you have something in your head that this is something you can't do, you know, you can revisit that. Maybe you can. Right. Um, So you talked about the mitzvah, but... Just to clarify for people, the mitzvah really is in the act of hafrashas chala and taking that small portion of the dough. Um, and I've also heard, and maybe tell me if you've heard this before and how to address it, I've had people write in um, how much they love making challah so the opposite of what I said before and they tell me they've taken courses with this French baker and that French I don't know what and they talk to me about all these details the temperature of the oven the temperature of the dough and I'm flipping because I don't I'm not that particular right and then yeah then I asked them about like the mitzvah and either they didn't know about it or they just tell me well I don't want to make so much we're only two at home or whatever and I'm like oh no but you're missing out on like, like you're almost there. You're missing out on the spiritual component. Yes, yes, it's true. Um, the, you know, the essence of the mitzvah of challah is, I mean, that's where the word challah comes from. It's the gift that we gave, you know, we took off a piece from our dough and gave it to the priests in the temple. And when we do that today, that's where we draw down the awareness of godliness and the awareness that, you know, the source of our sustenance. So mm-hmm. that mitzvah is really the mitzvah of challah. But, right. you know, even even when people don't take the challah, even though I always encourage and I give so many different ways to make that accessible for a person, you know, freezing techniques. So, you know, even if you only make a full batch once a month and then you can freeze it and have it for the month. And even if there's only once a year that you're going to separate, do that, you know, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Mm -hmm. that's the time to do it. But even with all of that, what I try to bring in is 
that even the process of making challah holds um, holds a lot of potential for connection. Mm, tell us. And so it's not just about the mitzvah, even though that's sort of the peak experience. And without it, you're definitely missing a very important component. Like, but every step in the process of making challah is really powerful. And um, there are so many lessons in challah that I bring in my book that... You know, some of them relate to the actual mitzvah of separating the dough, but some of them are just lessons that we learn from the making of the dough and from the serving of the challah. And, you know, all of that is really part of the experience. So even though I'm always encouraging women to make the blessing and take a piece off because that's the mitzvah, if someone tells me I just make a little bit and I'm like, good for you. Mm -hmm, Because when mm -hmm. a house smells like challah on Friday, that makes it a home. That makes it a home of Shabbos. That makes it a home with an awareness of, of, of spirituality and meaning. Mm-hmm. So it's a great start. It's a great start. And I know so many people who started off baking challah and ended up keeping Shabbat and all the mitzvah because of that. So it's a wonderful gateway into, into bringing godliness into your home. Right. Um, and even just the process of making the challah and serving it Friday night, Shabbos day, is already is already an amazing step in the in the right direction. So you mentioned already that there's so many deeper meanings and so much that we can learn from something that seems so mundane, baking bread, right? Uh, and you cover so much of this in your beautiful book. But can you share some some thoughts, some ideas that we could integrate later this week as we go into our kitchens um, into the act of making challah? Just some ideas um, that we could keep in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I find so beautiful about the mitzvah of challah is that we take off the piece of challah when the dough is in the process of becoming the bread, of becoming challah, before it takes shape and form. And I always find that that's such an important lesson, especially today in our hyper- result-oriented society that, you know, we're just, we don't have patience anymore. And uh, we've forgotten the art of waiting and giving something time to become. And it's a very, you know, male-oriented world in that way, where we kind of just expect results. Mm -hmm. And we expect them right now. But nurturing and the work of the woman is really very frustrating if that's our mode of thinking, if Mm. that's expectations, because the work we do as women is very often repetitive. The work of nurturing is, is constantly doing the same thing over and over again. You know, we wash the dish and then they eat on it again. We make the bed and they go back to spin it again. And, And we comfort them. And then the next minute they're crying again about something else or the same thing. And just to, if we're living in this, in this, um, state of expectation of immediate results and that it's only about the results, then we're missing out on the magic in the moment mm-hmm. and the potential that's within the process. And I think that as women, if we can be present within the process um, rather than waiting for something to happen, that's when we can really be joyful in our work and and love what we're doing and and give it the best of ourselves to it. So taking off the piece of dough and not waiting till it's a finished product really 
reminds us to be present in the process and not simply um, be waiting for results. This is such a powerful lesson for so many areas of our lives. I mean, our work and even parenting, right? Parenting is something we're doing and we're don't we're, we don't know what's the result going to be, right? We're immersed in it. Know. We can't know. Absolutely. Hmm. How beautiful. Rocky, you, I know in your book, you didn't mention miracles that <laughs> even though you might be aware that the, one could attribute them to a person doing the mitzvah or taking on the mitzvah of um, Doing, taking challah yes. and so revealed miracles in their lives. Um, but still, would you, you didn't share those in the book intentionally. Could you still share one of those powerful stories with us? Anything that stands out that you say, wow, either personal oh, or. Yes, yes, so many, so many, really. Um, I see so many miracles. It was a very conscious decision not to put miracle stories in because I really wanted each person to find their connection. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have seen incredible, incredible stories happening. Um, I'll tell you one where we did a we did a uh, challah um, that was organized especially for a woman who was very ill and she was in a coma. And she had such an incredible circle of friends and they called me up and said, can we put together, can, you know, will you come if we get together 40 women and we want to pray for her? And I said, absolutely, you know, and we went, uh, I, you know, I went, it was in, uh, it was in Westchester and the, the, the power in the room was just palpable, the mm -hmm. 40 women and each person made a full dose so that every person could make the bracha and the the energy in the room was so powerful. And the, the times that I've experienced these miracles openly, you could feel the energy in the room. You could know, you just knew that we were accomplishing something very big at that moment. It's like, you know, the moment of conception, the moment where like, you know, <clears throat> you're drawing down something into this world that is larger than yourself. And the this this particular time, you know, we were all taking the challah together, making the bracha. I spoke to the women at length of how we accomplish drawing down the blessing when we take the challah. And I, I still get chills when I speak about this because we had just finished taking the challah, all of us making the blessing together. And the woman who was the organizer got a phone call from this woman who was ill from her daughter mm -hmm. that her just opened her eyes and sat up at that moment um and she didn't even know about the challah bake she didn't know what we were doing for her mom and she called to share that her mom just opened her eyes and sat up so you know it was like you can imagine what happened in that room it was just it was just so intense wow um And, you know, that's just one story. I, I've had stories where there was multiple people in the room who were praying for different things. And, you know, nine months later, I get invited to a bris. I get, you know, I, I, there's just, it's, it's pretty incredible. It's really amazing. And what I found even more than the power of praying for ourselves, when we're making challahs, the power that we have for praying for another person. And that's when I've seen the biggest miracles really happen is mm -hmm. when, Everybody is, you know, when a person turns to the person next to them and says, can I pray for you? And, you know, what healing do you need? And what is, what are you missing in your life? And those prayers, I find those are the most powerful. Yes, because I guess it's connected also in a sense to this, the idea be 
behind challah, where we're giving to another, right? And the yes. the greatest form of giving is giving of our prayers. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's incredibly powerful. Um, Rachel, your book is exquisite, not just in the contents, the explanations, the recipes, but let's talk about layout and photography, please. I mean, and well, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing the fact that it's, should I say it, that it's going to be sold in a place like anthropology very soon? Yes, yes. <laughs> Had a lot to do I'm with that. Pinching. I'm still pinching myself. Right? I'm so talk to us it. first, before we even get to how does one get to anthropology, talk to us about <laughs> That process of creating something so beautiful, um, I don't know, you know, yeah, tell me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? It, I had a vision from the beginning. Uh -huh. And I knew, I mean, the reason it's so beautiful, well, first of all, I'm an artist. So if it's something I'm going to make, I have to love it. And, you know, as a graphic designer, I work for a lot of clients and I have to do their vision. So this was my chance to create something that was entirely my vision and, you know, my taste and just do something that I love. And it was, I mean, it was the hardest thing I ever did. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it was also so incredibly rewarding to be able to follow through on my own vision from beginning to end. Um, and I, the, I mean, every step of the process was really, I had a very clear vision and part of the reason that I wanted it to be so gorgeous and it's being realized with anthropology wanting to carry it is that I wanted this to be something that every person would want to have in their home, not yes. just a person who already keeps Shabbos, who already makes challah. I wanted this to be something that <clears throat> we almost slip in the spirituality sort of undetected, under the radar. Yes. And then you open it up and it's kind of this bonus. Uh, but you get it because it's so beautiful and you want to give it as a gift and you even want to keep it on your coffee table. Mm -hmm. uh, but which I keep hearing from people that was like the one comment that I get from everybody is like, this is not a cookbook, it's a coffee table book. And really, that was the intention. I wanted it to be something people would be proud to display in their home or to give as a gift. And, um, and then they would open it up and discover something that they hadn't even expected. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, the reason I felt like it had to be so pretty. It is. It is absolutely gorgeous. So when you say you had a vision, did you did you also have a vision that your photography is very particular? And I know that you brought in somebody very particular from I think yes. Portugal or something. Yes, I know I'm a little crazy. When once I get something in my head, forget about it. <laughs> so had you, you wanted that style with the dark backgrounds, that was your vision? Yeah, I really wanted to convey sort of the warmth and you know this mm -hmm. this feeling of a, a home and that feeling that challah gives you so I knew right away from the beginning that this was going to be a book that was going to have that sort of that sort of um, dark warm background yeah and um, you know a lot of the stuff right now is very white and very fresh looking which I love um, in terms of design but this this is not you know this is not salad this is uh, although I probably would have gained less weight if I wrote a cookbook on salad <laughs> but we won't go there <laughs> but the, the, the look and then you know of course the wonders of the internet and having you know being able to follow photographers that I admire and somehow every single time I would see a photo that was exactly my vision it was always the same woman uh -huh. it was always this woman Monica Pinto and you know the wonders of today you can just figure out who is this woman and I look her up and I write to her and I say any chance I mean this sounds crazy would you come to New York and do my book and it was 
just amazing because how everything came together. First of all, her last name, Pinto. Yeah. So the way I said to her, are you Jewish? Because, you know, it is a very Sephardic Jewish last name. And she said, you know, I'm not, but I think my ancestors are Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I keep getting like information about my ancestry. And of course, we know that in Portugal and in Spain, for that matter, most of the population has Jewish ancestry. Yes. And there are many, many, many people who are Jewish and don't know it. And she told me she was always so fascinated by Judaism, doesn't know why. And she always wants to know more. So for her, this wasn't just about coming to shoot the pictures. It was about learning about the Jewish tradition that she was always curious about. And it was such a learning experience for both of us. You know, every photo, why do we need salt? Why are there two challahs? Why, you know, what's the Kiddush cup? Why do we cover the challahs? What is Shabbos? I mean, we spoke more than we took pictures. Let me tell you. Wow. Amazing. It was, it was such a great experience. Wow. So how long did the whole project take from beginning to end? I mean, the actual working on it all the time I'm about two years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For two years, I was pretty much, you know, in labor with this book. Wow. So yeah. I just want to also mention to readers that again, you're a graphic designer, you're a head of a community, you're a shlucha, and you're a mother, and this is all taking place. Um, give us some tips for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just know this for myself that the, and I think this is the the slogan we're all familiar with, right? If you have something you need to get it done, you give it to somebody busy. Yes. Um, And I know this for myself. I accomplish the most, the busier I am. And um, time is, time is stretchy. You know, time is really flexible. And the more we have to do, the more we somehow accomplish. So yeah, like our dear Rebbe said once, I believe when something is worth doing, it's worth doing now. (laughs) Yeah. That is absolutely the key. Absolutely. When there's something worth doing, you do it. And uh, procrastination is really our enemy. So just, uh, yeah. And of course, when you're passionate about something, you find the time for it. That's, you know. Right, right. We we make the time for what's priority and important. So, Rocky, how did, how did the book even get to anthropology? How did they hear about it? Did you, did you go to them? How did it happen? So, um, I actually had the good fortune of having a friend. Actually, she is a Balas Chuva who was part of our community and um, very close with her. She's just a complete neshama. And I actually made her shidduch and uh, very close with her. And she worked for anthropology for a little bit. Oh, wow. And wow. when the book came out, she said, you know, this has to be an anthropology. And I said, yeah, but, you know, yeah. how is that going to happen? <laughs> I actually happened to have some friends who wrote cookbooks and they had told me that they tried to get into anthropology and it's impossible. You know, they only carry maybe five cookbooks at a time and they're very specific. And she said, well, I still have some contacts there. So let's send them a book and see. So, you know, I didn't even have expectations. We sent it off and um, I get a phone call from the woman who's in charge of the book buying. And she said, you know, the woman who got the book brought it over to my desk and let me look at it, but she didn't let me take it because she said she wants it and no one's allowed to have it. (laughs) That's a good sign. Yes. She said, I would love to have a deeper look at this, but I don't even have a copy. So that was the first good sign. So I sent her two. I said, one is for the office and one you get to take home. And she just fell in love with it. And she said, you know, we don't even usually do single subject cookbooks or, but she said, this is just, you know, we have to carry this. So it's very exciting. And we're going to be, you know, setting up meetings, God willing, um, in the summer because they're planning to carry it for the next holiday season. 
So how beautiful. That'd be like Hanukkah of 2018, 19. How beautiful. I just think it's such a big Kiddush Hashem that people are going to be exposed to learning about this deeper mitzvah in a place where, you know, where they are. <laughs> You're meeting yes. them right where they are. <laughs> you know, yeah, I have to tell you something, which is an amazing thing, you know, and this is, I feel how when you do something from the heart and for a higher purpose, purpose yes, that, you know, that Hashem has your back. And I feel like, like I, I started off the book, the first, the first introductory page is a message from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, actually, from a speech that he gave to the women, where he spoke about the idea of this mitzvah of challah and how it represents, you know, our lives and how we approach everything in our lives. And in sort of shopping around this book to publishers earlier on in the stage, I wasn't sure if I should include that page. You know, there was a part of me that was saying, you know, the secular world, how are they going to, you know, maybe I should bury it somewhere in the book, or maybe I should leave it out when I'm shopping the book around. You know, there was that little Yetzirah, that part of me that thought that maybe I should take it out. It's not good PR for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I didn't listen to that voice. I kept it in. And I said, you know, if I'm doing it for a higher purpose, then eventually I feel like I'll see the blessings. And, you know, publishers didn't believe in the book, I have to say, in the beginning. Really? Yes. And I, I marketed it to a bunch of different, you know, I shopped it around. And everyone said, who's going to who's gonna be interested in this? The market's too small. There's not. And I didn't let them get to me. I, I had the vision. I knew what this could do. And I just plowed ahead. I was very encouraged by the story of um, J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter. Yes. And you've heard her story where she was fully rejected by 26 publishers before Harry Potter came out. So I said, you know, if they didn't see the promise in something that blew up like that, I don't have to take to heart these rejections. And I kept, you know, I kept going for it. At the end of the day, I went with Feldheim, who believed in the project. I was very blessed that they really allowed me to keep my vision exactly as I wanted it. And when Anthropology said, we want this book, exactly how it is you know there's no caveat there's no please remove the page where you know Mm. people are going to open it and there's a message from the rebbe on the first page i realized that you know that was a sign to me that that you know when you do something with the higher intention and you stick to your principles it um it pays off in the end it really really does does how beautiful, Rachi. This is so inspiring. Um, Rachi, so so what's next? The book is out. You're speaking all over. Um, you're still writing your blog, therisinglife.net, right? Yes. Um, I'm probably not as good about it as I should be. And um, I find that when I write, I have to be in writing mode. Yeah. And believe me, I know. it's a very different part of the brain, right? Yes. And I'm also an artist. So for me to go back and forth, is really, it's really tricky. So I find that it's hard for me to switch and I'm still learning how to do that. So I'm not writing as much as I would like to be, but I'm, I'm figuring it out as I go along. That's life. We're, we're, we're learning as we go. And, um, and, and, if, and you're speaking. So if people want to reach you for speaking engagements, they could find you there in your blog, right? Yes. TheRisingLife.net. I'm also on Instagram at Rachi Pinson and on Facebook. So there are, um, there's endless ways to find me. And I love hearing from people like just, you know, hearing people's stories from Chala. People send me their photos of the Chala that they made inspired by my book. And I get so much nachas. I feel like all that work and everything that was put into this, just every time I hear it, it's, it's, it's all worth it. You know, I have to, I have to share with you that I, I already 
already tried your classic challah recipe and 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 I attribute you I give you credit for my ability to now braid a six braid challah you don't know how many years <laughs> I tried and I gave it up even with the great instructions on the purple cookbook spice and spirit I just could never master it and I don't know what you did there but it works now and I'm in it <laughs> I'm on it oh you're making me so happy that is amazing yes. that is absolutely amazing to hear and you should know that I'm a bit of a challah snob to the point oh. that my family was like what you made somebody else's challah Uh -oh. mm -hmm. like 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 and I'm like no guys like I'm so excited about this challah like I know challah like this is gonna be really good challah and they were like oh mommy this is really so good my husband was so impressed he's like first of all we couldn't believe that you're trying somebody else's challah because you're so picky that's about a, your challah that's a big move yeah challah is very personal it's true <laughs> and I absolutely fell in love with it my family's in love with it and that's my new classic one <laughs> yours I'm so happy to hear that and really it's true I don't know what it is about this recipe It's really perfection. I went through hundreds of recipes over the years because I was determined. And this one is just, there's just, it's just never goes wrong. Yes, somehow. Yes. And, and I had one like that. I've advertised and given to women many times yeah. my no fail challah recipe. So yeah. that's why my family was like, what? You're, You're trying doing her challah? I'm like, yeah, no, guys, this is going to be really good. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's a, that's a big one. That's something that one, um, Jewish publisher actually told me when I showed them the book, they said, you know, women have been making the same challah recipe their whole lives. It's their mother's recipe, their grandmother's recipe, whatever it might be, they're connected to it. They're not going to open a challah cookbook and try something new. Mm. And I said, some people will. Yes. I said, there are people who will. Yes. <laughs> Even challah snobs like me. <laughs> Even challah snobs. You're going to be a snob, you know, be a challah snob. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Rahi, you've been great. Let's wrap it up with some JLP fill in the blanks. And this is something I do with all my guests. It's a part of the show where I'm going to give you some open ended sentences and you're going to fill them with whatever first thing comes to mind. Oh, this sounds like fun. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm up for it. I'm Rahi Pinson and I feel most spiritual when? I'm making challah. Hmm. I could have guessed that one. <laughs> that was it. One. <laughs> and this one is similar, but you could choose something else if you want to. My favorite mitzvah or one I feel most connected with is... Actually, this one is different. Mm -hmm. It's mitzvah. Wow. Yes. I, I, I know, know people don't do that. <laughs> no, but I've had several guests already tell me that. And I think that is so powerful because that is a hard mitzvah. It's the best mitzvah. I know I wrote a book on challah and my whole thing is challah, but I also teach a lot of women about mikvah. I teach a lot of brides and actually as soon as we hang up from this call, I am actually going to a first class with a new bride. Um, so that's the next thing I'm going to be speaking about and I can't wait. Um, I love speaking about mikvah. I love the mikvah. It's, it, I'm passionate about that mitzvah. So How there beautiful. you go. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? Oh, Oh, um, I only get one. Oh, <laughs> indulge us, please. <laughs> um, I don't know what, you know, there's everything in life is Jewish, but I think um, I would have to say I haven't married off any children yet, but my son's bar mitzvahs were very, very powerful moments hmm. in my life. Um, 
And unexpectedly, you know, I hadn't thought that it was going to be such a big deal. But when they get called up to the Torah and that moment of transition was was very, very powerful. So how many boys do you have? I have three boys. Leonard, two of them have been bar mitzvahed and one is next year. Oh, I have one coming up also next year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What's his birthday? His birthday is the 29th of the month of Tevet. Okay, so mine is Sivan. So yours is going to be a little bit before a mine. A little bit before yours, <laughs> yes. And he's my oldest, so. Oh, that's sweet. Mine is my youngest. <laughs> oh, your baby. I've been told already that I'm not allowed to cry. Meanwhile, I've been crying since the day he turned 12 because it oh, hit me that this is like happening. <laughs> You'll cry. You'll cry. And it's amazing. And it's just the power that we have in our in our traditions, you know, that that moment they change. You know how when you cut their hair at three years old, like you see that transition? Yes. When they become bar mitzvah, something changes in them. And it's so powerful. And when you see it, like it's really goodbye to this little baby. They're becoming men. And it's very emotional. It's very yes. beautiful. Yes, something I wished I had learned about Judaism growing up. Um, I would say that I'd wish to make that I learned to make challah, but no, I'm so happy that I discovered it when I did. Otherwise, I would have taken it for granted. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I wish I had learned about Judaism? I mean, I grew up. I feel like my learning of Judaism has been a process throughout my life. Having grown up being observant, mm-hmm. um, there were many things that I took for granted or didn't explore when I was younger. Right. And definitely um, rediscovering the mitzvot as you get older and having to teach it to other people really makes you have to think about it in a new way and understand it differently. Yes. That's been a real joy in my life is just connecting, reconnecting to the mitzvot in a new way and, you know, finding my own personal connection to the mitzvot, not just because, you know, it's how I was raised, but because now it's who I am. So it's been all the mitzvot have been, you know, a journey for me to rediscover. Yeah. And isn't that, again, connected to what we were talking about before, this idea of behind challah of giving when we teach, we gain so much more. We really, yeah. right, when we're giving to to others, but really we're gaining so much as teachers ourselves. A hundred percent. That's so much a part of my message. Also, the idea, you know, when we take off from that piece of challah, when we take off from that dough and the dough looks perfect and whole, but it's not whole until we remove a piece from it. Exactly. And that lesson that we really come into our own fullness when we give of ourselves. Yes. When I give tzedakah, I like to give to? A person. Like an um, individual that you know is in me. I like to give personally, yeah. Um, not to sort of a nameless, faceless, but I love to be able to give tzedakah in a way that feels, you know, personal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And finally, I'm Rahi Pinson, and today I'm most grateful for. Oh my goodness. I'm most grateful to be alive and still have passion for um, for this mitzvah of challah, even after all this um, talking about it and teaching <laughs> about it and making so many. I'm grateful that I'm still in love with it and still get excited about it. On so. that note, tell us how many challahs did you have to bake to get into these pictures for this book? <laughs> <laughs> many, many, many. Countless. Um, yes, I think I think that I actually um, stole the freezer space from almost everybody I knew. Oh, that's funny. So oh. I had freezers, like I had to have lists of which freezers, which challahs were in. Oh my gosh! And it was it was really it was it was an interesting project. What it was a, a project! <laughs> what a great project, everyone! The book is Rising, the book of challah, and you can purchase it on Amazon. And again, it'll be sold at Anthropology 
in the fall. But trust me, you don't want to wait for that. You want to get your copy now. And it gets better because Rocky and I want to gift one of you, dear listeners, a copy of Rising. So we have a giveaway that we're announcing today on JewishLatinPrincess.com, the blog, and here on this podcast, um, as well as on social media. So follow the instructions there pronto to be entered into a raffle to win your own copy of Rising, the book of Hala. And if you would like Rahi to come speak to your community or do a Hala workshop, be in touch with her at therisinglife.net. Rahi, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you, Yael. This was so much fun. I know. And I, had I a love time. connecting with you. I love it. And I can't wait to get into my kitchen and make my Hala for this week. Thank you. Yes, it's going to be so exciting. And God willing, we'll meet each other in person one day. Yes. Thanks to Rocky Pinson for stopping by and sharing with us some of the lessons that she shared in this beautiful book. Again, the book is Rising, the Book of Chala, Recipes for Chala and Life from Rebetzin Rocky's Kitchen. You can get your copy on Amazon, but wait. Also, why don't you enter on our giveaway? Head over to JewishLatinPrincess.com to find instructions to be entered on the giveaway. One of you could win a copy of this beautiful book. Trust me, you will love it. In fact, I think everyone should have two copies one on our coffee tables and then one in our kitchens. That's what I think I'm going to do because I, I, I have it, I devoured it, and then I, I've been using it in my kitchen and then it goes back to my coffee table. And in fact, when I put it back in my kitchen, I don't want it to get ruined or dirty. So I think I need to get myself another copy. It is just wonderful. Um, so head over to JewishLatinPrincess.com and follow instructions to enter. I can't wait to see who gets a copy of the book. I am headed to New Jersey to speak about the Jewish home. My lecturer, Mikasa, is Sukasa, Kabbalah of the home. So I'll definitely be sharing with the ladies some of what I learned here from Rahi and from Rahi's book. If you'd like to have me speak to your Jewish community, send me an email at yael at jewishlatinprincess.com. Thanks for being here, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.